Well, hello and welcome to Inexos Access All Areas. My name is B, and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Inexos nerd, Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums, and oh, so much more. Well, hello. Welcome to Access Access All Areas, episode 113, the podcast that dives deep into all things great about this band in excess. I do so with my compadre, B, a bunch of patrons, and also a chance to get this band into the Hall of Fame. B, uh, I probably should ask, how am I this week? <laughs> Not how are you? <laughs> hmm. How are you, Hayden? How am I? I'm, I'm, one of, I'm one of millions around the world who's got COVID, so... Mm-hmm. Um, Winge, 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 woe is me, enough of that. Let's move on to the show. Well, every time I keep speaking to you, like, I'm dying, B, I have nothing. And then you come <laughs> on the show and you hardly got a voice. So I hope you can last the whole hour. Well, it's a good thing that we have our guest, Richard, who's going to be speaking a bit more than us today. But mm-hmm. um, uh, we did have fun having uh, Richard on last week and we have him back for part two today. Recapping last week, B, what did you enjoy uh, about that app and uh, I guess being part of that first first uh, episode. You asked a lot of lovely questions there. It, it was great. Um, I liked um, a lot of it. We, we ended there with, was it what you need? I think it was a need you tonight and how those um, videos had evolved. So that was quite cool. Listening to the backstories on that. Yeah. And look, we went out with uh, Motorcycle Baby. And I forgot to mention last week that that actual song was co-written not only by Troy, but by Ollie Olsen, who uh, I guess has had a big sort of uh, involvement with uh, uh, Michael, as we know, but obviously through through Richard and uh, may even come up later in today's episode. We would love to get Ollie on. Maybe Richard could help us, uh, you know, uh, you know, push him along, given their uh, friendship and proximity. Mm, well, we'll see see about that. Do you know I've got a friend called Ollie Olsen? It's a very strange name, isn't it? Olsen's a bit more of a Scandinavian name, well, isn't Well, I it, really? thought that, but this guy's from, yeah, he's from Phillip Island or just off Phillip <laughs> Island, yeah. That's a, like, that's a bit, bit, bit weird. I says, Ollie Olsen, it's not very, he's not a very common name, is yeah. it? So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and Ollie Olsen was also in Dogs in Space as well. Correct, correct. Mm-hmm. And I think the good thing, uh, just speaking of Dogs in Space, uh, we were able to uh, land a little bit of an arrangement uh, for Richard's book on dogs and space, which was a little bit more the the backdrop and the making of, et cetera, there. And we announced that last week and so many of our listeners and patrons are like, I want a copy, I want a copy. Well, Richard is very, very happy to personally sign a copy, uh, an autographed copy directly to you. Uh, we've worked out a bit of an arrangement where maybe in orders of, you know, 10, 15, 20 books at a time, we'll go to Richard, we'll fill in, you know, uh, your details, et cetera, there. He'll personally sign a copy. Uh, I'll go pick them up uh, and uh, we'll distribute them out to you directly. Um, We just need a commitment from you if you are wanting to buy one of these books. Uh, Richard is going to do a little bit of a discount, uh, which will be great. Overall, though, B, uh, having your own copy signed of anything uh, like that's always exciting for the collection. Yes. If you could please email your, um, your, your, how many you want and what you want signed in there next week, we will, uh, or if I can, I will get the, um, price to you. Um, as soon as we know, we'll post that onto our platforms, uh, but we'll let you know next week how much these copies will be. And we will get them out to you. So we thought, well, if we impose, you know, 15 or 20 at a time for Richard to sign and, and pay for, uh, that is from our, our patrons or our listeners, we will then get them uh, directly sent out to you as quick as we can, which will uh, uh, hopefully be a, a bit of a godsend and an efficient process, B. Awesome. Thank you. All right. 
Now, I guess I like to always ask these things. I was going to say, how's your in excess week been? But I'm going to start off, by, how's your Elvis week been? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it was great. I really enjoyed it. Now, did you have the family day today? The whole family went to yeah, see Elvis? had a fantastic, well, no, um, had a beautiful family day. We uh, went and went for a walk and went out for a, a lunch and played pool. The girls won. It's fantastic. Um, and then we all went to the movies. The boys went to see Thor and I went with my girl to see um, Elvis. And um, at one stage, um, she'd really cracked down and I thought, gosh, she's fell asleep. I went, Mila, are you okay? Are you bored? And she's like, nope. <laughs> I'm crying, and she was really upset that he, he um, that that he'd mouthed to Priscilla. I I will always love you, and she never said it back. It oh. broke me this little heart. It was it was a very emotional movie towards the end. Um, the that actor- sounds like. That sounds like a good friend of the podcast, Dolly Parton. Uh, I always love you. Um, was that am I on a different wavelength of songs there and musicals? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> but um, the the actor is absolutely captivating. He is an absolute star. This guy, um, yeah. Tom Hanks. You hate him. You hate the <laughs> Colonel. Really do. And um, Richard Loughborough is in it. Who? Is it Richard Loss Loughborough? What's his name? That might be the worst pronunciation of a name you've given to me in two and a half years. Uh, What's his Richard, name? Richard Roxborough. Roxborough. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, Richard, if you're listening. You know? <laughs> yes. Richard's in it, um, yes. but he's not his fun little self. He's actually quite a little meek man in it, so oh, I didn't okay. like that. It's like Richard. Yeah, for those who don't know around the world, he was the first guy, uh, well, the main character of the show Rake, uh, mm. which obviously is big in Australia, plus he's been in lots and lots of other shows. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, glad you enjoyed it. It okay. sounds really weird. I have no real interest to go see it. I wish I wish I'd felt more of a connectivity to go yeah. see it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I wrote I wrote something on my post and um Paul Jolie, um God, I love Paul Jolie. I love you, Paul Jolie. And he he says that he said he's heard that it's really great. And then Laurie says, I've heard it's not very good. You know what? There was something in me wanting a little bit more from it because yeah. it was um Baz's, you know, and Baz's really like bah, yeah. out there. But I think he did a really bloody good job. And like yeah. I say, he, the acting from this young guy and how he looks like him and performs is you just can't get, get your eyes off him, really. I think Elvis's story is so big. There's yeah. so much. I mean, we were talking afterwards and saying it really needs to be a big mini series, really, on Elvis's life. You can't put it into. Well, over the years, there's been uh, a few. Elvis movies, one of the more famous ones was actually back in 1977. This might sound weird, but I think uh, a young Kurt Russell played Elvis in 1977. Yeah. So, but there hasn't really been a a big Elvis sort of biopic picture, Mm. you know, probably since since then of any sort of magnitude. But um, Mm. uh, I guess it's probably opening up... uh, uh, audiences to listen, although his podcast was a little bit behind ours uh, the other week in the charts. But uh, <laughs> um, anyway, it's got uh, me wanting to um, get a biography, not a biography, autobiography of yeah. his. Um, no, a biography. Of his. <laughs> I always get that mixed up. Autobiography is when they write it. Is that right? Correct. And a biography is when it's written for them. Yes. Yes. So I want to. It's interesting. Like I was talking about fifteen years ago, twenty years ago. I remember there was that uh, little, little less talk and less conversation, or whatever song. Like it's like he has a little every fifteen years, a little bit of a a push in the zeitgeist where they re-release yeah. something. That's a long time ago. That's got yeah. to be about two thousand and three when that came out, and it's yeah. a double album, isn't it? I love yeah. that album. I might it's get find that. Version, but, yes. Um, awesome. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, etc. There, um, mm-hmm. I know um, in terms of uh, biopics and things like that. Speaking of sort of documentaries and videos and whatever, there, uh, I'd love to see NXS sort of get a documentary going. It's been in my oh, head a little bit God, since getting yeah. to Richard last week, and mm-hmm. just remember from Tim and our interview with him last year when he said, oh, "I think we're well overdue for a documentary." and It'd be great to think that maybe uh, that could be a sort of an area where NXS could explore and really, really do something interesting and innovative on the documentary side because, um, yeah, there hasn't really, if you think think of the NXS documentaries, yeah, the last real significant one or one that stands out is In Search of Excellence, which was yeah. 1988. So in terms of some sort of meaningful real-life account of the band, that was probably the last thing that's happened. And, you know, 34 years later, there's been a lot to go on since then for obvious, uh, you know, time mm. reasons and things. So mm. we shall see. We shall Pray see. Pray for that one. Yeah. Mm. And the other thing that I realised as well, that there's not really a really beautiful book, coffee table book of In Excess either, is there? There's the story to story, but, you know, I mean, it's okay. Probably but, the Richard Simpkins ones, but that's not yeah, really. Yeah, but that's just, on, that's just on my core. Yeah. yeah. yeah I think of like what you two produced, you know, I've got that and it's just beautiful so there's there's a few things missing um in our in excess collections really like yeah has any come across your desk this week being in excess sort of i won't say news but in terms of uh clericals and things i i sure I, well i sure i saw that you uh flashed up to me earlier a picture of the new framed auction item which we'll talk about a bit later but uh well done on that it looks fantastic mm-hmm. um we will sort of probably elaborate that later in the show. But anything else come across your desk this week? Curtis has just also flashed something up to us and said that um, he's going to be um, sending us the first uh, run of the doco to watch tomorrow night. So that will be our that's premiere. That's a little video doc we did for our second anniversary, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's that. Um, I also want, I know you always give David and Pedro's page um, a little push, but I want to give them a little push today as well because yeah. last night there was a lots of action. Activity. I found some um, John Ferris um, drumsticks with um, Mike calling pictures, which is Peter St- um, Richard Simpkins's. Uh, we we'll say Peter Simpkins because that was my ex boyfriend. You see, uh-huh. all right, Richard Simpkins, um, one of um, Richard Simpkins's book, and it was going for five hundred and fifty dollars. Is that sure. what do you reckon? Drumsticks and a book, five hundred and fifty dollars. Hey. Yep. It's what the market will will ask, and it's what the market will uh, respond to. So if, if that if that goes at that price, that's a fair price. Yeah, but what I love about that um, page is that you know you can get um, you can get qualifications on things. So if you think is this rare or if it, is this real, everyone's there to help you, and there's lots of trading going on. It's quite a, an exciting page, and it's called In Search of In Excess. Now, B, we are only surviving by patrons and uh, people who put their hand in their pocket every month uh, to help us. Um, uh, I guess we'd like to welcome them all aboard. Do we have any newbies this week at all? Anyone jumping on board? No newbies this week, which it's we've had like three or four, uh, well, one or, one or two over the last four weeks, haven't we? Um, yep. But um, no, it's gone quiet. But I've had a lot of messages from people, which I'll, I'll mention in fan engagement. But yep. um, yeah, I did see that um, our lovely postman in England, David Gaunt, went to see, um, oh, my God. Not all. Yeah, Midnight Oil. And I noticed that it was his um, sixth gig. Seven, I think seventh out of 50. He's got a goal of 50 concerts. Yeah, I love that. I yeah. wish I'd thought of that. 
That's awesome. Yeah, yeah we'll have to find out what the other ones he's been to because I think uh, there's a couple there that um, he mentioned that escapes in my memory now. But uh, uh, good on him. But overall, B, let's try to welcome the patrons officially to the episode. I'd to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside. It's about 10,000 people at least. Hello. Well, a lovely big welcome to our honorary members, Tim Ferris, Nick Egan, Mark Opitz, Richard Simpkins, Cameron Adams, Mary Woods and Darren Jones, our paying patrons, Carmen, happy birthday, darling, Laurie, Carrie-Anne, Danielle, Sarah Marker and Sarah Camier, Dr. Jim, Katie, Lisa Mack, Lisa Calloway, Anne-Marie, Susan P, Susan B, Foxy, Pedro, Mandy, Matt, Linda, Yvonne, Caroline, Amanda H, Amanda V, David, Tracy, Paul Jolie, Paul Boozies, Paul Buckley, Sandrine, Ella, Ryder, Tony, Erica, Abigail, Martin, Stefan, Val, Jim, Matey, Kelly, Jackie, Sean, Sheila, Shannon, Helen, Brett, Suzanne, Laurel, Bard, Genevieve, Shelby, Manny, Laurie, Jill, Yowie, Laos, Heidi, Paula, Lisa Urban, Angie, Nancy, Juliet, Jenny, Scott, Anthea, Maria, Nicole, Tracy and Darren. And our special mentions are to Sue D, Joe Robbins, John Vink, Michael, Glenn and Paul Boozy. We wish you all well and welcome to the podcast. All right, well, we're coming into part two this week of our Richard Deep Dive. Obviously, uh, as you said earlier, we got up to roughly around the what you need video clip stuff, but uh, plenty of stuff to uh, elaborate on today, uh, especially, you know, the mystified documentary amidst uh, patron questions and many other things. So we are very, very glad to have Richard coming back for part two today. Yeah, I'm sorry if we only had a bit of a time restriction, so we'll try and get as many of your patron questions in as possible. All right, what's the time for? It's time for the news. Hi, it's Dave from England, and you're listening to In Excess Access All Areas with Hayden and B. And now it's time for the news. All right, B. Well, uh, look, fifth week in a row, nothing in the charts for the very best of. Uh, maybe just having a, uh, a eight, nine, ten, eleven year slumber, but nothing to see here. Uh, however, in Gig Watch, uh, I do want to give a big shout out to great new friends of the podcast, the Inexcessive Boys here in Victoria, B. Uh, they've announced a show up in Bendigo on the 29th of uh, July, which is uh, only a week or two away. So um, do yourself a favour. Uh, I did. Gold, ex-gold mining country, isn't it, yeah, I did myself a favour, and uh, you do yourself a favour, Bendigo, because they're great. Uh, <laughs> the Don't Change Boys, uh, again, we like to give them a plug all the time. Uh, we said recently about their extra show in Adelaide, but uh, they're playing Hornsby uh, on Remembrance Day this year, on the 11th of the 11th. Uh, and they've also even announced gigs up in Forster, uh, up on the coast of New South Wales there on the 14th of January. So these guys know how to plan ahead. Uh, and the Live Baby Live guys, they're going to be playing on the 23rd of July next week in Cronulla, as we mentioned, I think, a, a couple of weeks ago. So these are just a, a few of uh, uh, the excess bands are out there uh, flying the flag. B, you're uh, gesturing at yourself like, uh, I've got something, Dad. 
Yes. Um, yes. In excessive, I'm uh, playing down in Melbourne. Um, I can't remember. I think it was the Palms. Was it yep. um, the, the casino? The, the casino. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. And I thought I'd go and celebrate my birthday. It's my birthday no. weekend down there. So I'm going to come down and see you and go and Yay, see. October. Yeah. I think they're playing with um, Cold Chisel, whatever band that might be. Gold Chisel. Yeah, yeah. Gold Chisel. That's yeah, right. Yeah. And then. Only today, Sarah Camia has just um, tagged me in because um, Don't Change are playing at the Mona Vale RSL, um, Pitwater RSL in Mona Vale um, in December. I think it's December the 3rd. Well, that'd be great. We'd love to uh, mm. see more of each other and uh, what better way to do it than at an inaccessible gig. Yes. Um, also, a little bit of news this week. Uh, it's been a bit of, I've got probably the most varied group of news this week, B. Uh, uh, this came across our desk from uh, some very valuable patrons, but uh, uh, poor old Chris Murphy's old property on the Hawkesbury there fell into a sinkhole. Mm. Um, anytime Terrible. you hear the word sinkhole, it's quite scary, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Um, did you, it did you watch the footage? Uh, well, yeah, I, I, I didn't see the sort of the video of it, but I saw the still shot. Ah. Um, but I saw a, a show on Four Corners the other night, uh, which is a sort of current affair show here, where they're talking about just Australia's continued tendency to be building properties in vulnerable areas like, you know, where the mm-hmm. Hawkesbury is or on cliffs and things. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of this gets back to sort of really just not smart, you know, um, planning on, on a... Uh, on a yeah, that. I mean, there's, there's a lot of houses and there was some... I think the house has just gone down in... Um, uh, Collaroy on the northern beaches and that is right on the beach but this property was actually built at the turn of the century so you know and it was really far back from the river and the yeah. whole of the whole of the bank has gone in and it's um it's such a shame because you know it's heritage listed right. I think it was in the family the Murphy family for 16 years and yeah. it was um like horse farm and um, it's a yeah. beautiful area but yeah the footage is the ladies talking about on um, the video and you can hear it crunching and she goes oh my god some more has just fallen in yeah, so like god knows third, how much is left now floods i think this year the oh. even anything within 15 k's of the river is still in a vulnerable spot but uh mm. we shall digress um mm-hmm. bit of a valet this week nothing new within excess but uh we like to acknowledge you know icons of the entertainment industry and uh, we want to say uh, valet to uh tough guy james khan who played Sonny Corleone in The Godfather amidst, amidst many other roles. Uh, he passed away this week, I think, at roughly at 80 years of age. So uh, kudos to Mr Khan. Great career, great life. Um, also, too, this week, B, on a more positive level, we want to say happy birthday uh, at the time of recording today. It's 31 years as of t- uh, the day of recording, which is uh, the 13th of July today. Happy Wembley Day for two reasons, Live Aid in 85 and in excess, uh, live baby live in ninety one B. So, uh, big happy birthday out to that iconic venue and all the people who participated uh, at those shows over six years. Yes, and uh, thank you to Joe Robbins and Carrie Ann. Um, they do an amazing um, posts for Wembley on the Hutch Nation um, Facebook page and our Hutch Nation on Instagram. And there's loads out there. Well,
shout out too to the uh, newsletter team. Big newsletter last week. I had a bit of a proper deep dive today uh, during my uh, COVID recovery, but uh, great little um, deep dive for pa- uh, our patron, Tracy. Uh, there, who uh, gave a little bit of a, a analysis of her fandom, which was good. Uh, also, a little bit of a reference to Playgirl magazine in 1988 with Michael being voted in the top 10 sexiest men there. I'm thinking Playgirl magazine, gee, that's a blast from the past. Yeah. Amidst some other interesting sort of articles there. Also, to this week, if you were to plug into your search engine, uh, Narara, that's N A R A R A, music festival, we've spoken about this before. There's a great Triple M article that sort of does a retro revisit to the sort of 1983 84 concert, the NXS. Uh, start at. Uh, I think Simple Minds were there and NXS uh, famously sort of stole the show uh, of that particular uh, concert that day. Uh, so you go onto the Triple M site and plug in that uh, info in your search engine and you'll get a really, really good read there. Also out there, um, I want to give a bit of a, a non-shout out to either a person or a publication by the name of Tech, Techie Paris. Um, I might have said the worst written, uh, the, mo- the worst uh, grammar, the worst researched article in the history of journalism related to Music Bee. Friend of the show, Dua Lipa, um, who had her song Break My Heart. There was an article about NXS's appreciation for, you know, having her sample, you know, of NXS's song recognised, uh, yada, 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 and hence the royalties went to the band. Uh, this, this article that came out might have to be one of the most ill-informed, error-ridden articles. I don't know how it passed, you know, the judgment call of the editors there because the, the journal says... Dua Lipa requested permission to use want you tonight, not need you tonight. And, and and called the song of Dua Lipa's Break My Coronary Heart. <laughs> not Break My Heart. So if, if you go into Techie Paris July 9th article, this this this, this How article did I get up. It, it's 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 like it's like when you go to a, a Bangkok restaurant and they've got an Australian menu and they call it roast fuck. Oh, okay? not roast duck. Do you know what I'm saying? This yeah. is how bad yeah. this article it's... is. So I thought I'd just raise it because I just I don't know what's going wrong with the world, but um, this I don't know. It shouldn't it, be it allowed, should it? It must have no. been a piss take or something, but it was the most badly yeah. written. Now, the song's wrong. The, 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 not only the song that was sampled from, the actual song that it went to, I mean, it's a whole bunch of grammatical errors. I mean, it was just pathetic. Um, but it was funny. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, break my coronary heart. He's um, <laughs> quite from funny. This is want you tonight, not need you tonight. You know, you know um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Millennials. But, yes, I know. But I did save over last week be a little bit of my print article for this week that I wanted to sort of share with you. Can I, can I reveal? Go ahead. Okay. Now, I did forward this article to Tim. Tim was very excited to read it. There was a bit of a deep dive on the Prince song, uh, Alphabet Street, that was released off the Love Sexy album 1988. Essentially, the basis of this article that we'll post on our platforms was that Prince was very, very, very jealous, but very, very inspired by NXS's Need You Tonight. When you hear the song Alphabet Street, you can hear the similarity. But in one of these articles, accompanying articles, it was also saying, if you look at the film clip, Prince uses his finger like Michael does in uh, Need You Tonight, but he does a finger sort of thing with an eye, like for in excess, like it's a bit of a homage. Oh, yeah, so, I love you know, that's the, cool. Uh, I yeah, like so, that. Oh, I can't wait to finish this show. Should I go and have a yeah. look at that? Prince, uh, Prince, I think was the, the, the gist was Prince was out, Prince was out Prince 
by in excess, I think was the gist of the article. Like in excess were able to do prints better than what prints could. Elvis, um, they had little Richard and you, the similarities there right. of little Richard and Prince are, yeah, brilliant. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so there's a, there's, there's probably two articles, you know, uh, about this sort of uh, inexcess link. So we'll try to get mm-hmm. those to you and get them out. But B, there comes a time where after a gap and, and uh, in a period where there's been little activity from band members, Media Wars <gasps> reappears. This is Casey from England. You're listening to NXS Media Wars. So, the, uh, our friend of the program who uh, is not afraid of a little bit of camera time, uh, the Kirkster, has been front and centre this week. Uh, not only did he have a birthday in this last week, but uh, Glenn A. Baker was able to put out a, 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 an article that was uh, nothing to do with Kirk himself. It was probably, you know, uh, Glenn's sort of happy 64th and a little bit of a publication now. And I think we may have placed that on our platforms, B, I think. Is that right? So well written. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Now, Glenn's the guy who originally suggested the band, no, 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 don't do that song. Do uh, Good Times mm-hmm. for uh, Australian Made. So Glenn's a bit of a rock story in Australia and well-respected. But uh, I had to laugh at the second one, B. This uh, this one came out, et cetera, there. Um, uh, it was Northern Beaches, most influential and interesting and inspiring uh, couple of the year. And uh, who happened to uh, win that one? I'm sure Tim's a bit upset there. He didn't win. But uh, the Kirkster and Lane, uh, Northern Beaches, most influential, interesting and inspiring couple uh, of the year, came out in an article as well this, B- this week, B. And you're shaking your head like uh, you No, I do me. believe you. You've got it wrong. Right. So um, number one was Lane. You're right there. And number four was was in excess, but they had the photos of um, Kirk and Tim. But the couple are up there. But, yeah, no, Lane for her um, inspiration or whatever she does, you know, all this yoga. Kirk and media stuff. time. But, um, but I mean, Kirk, Kirk, Kirk got some media time on it. Yeah, I'm sure. But right, him, him with Tim <laughs> as a couple. Okay. Um, well, I did see that one with him and Tim sitting around, but I, I thought I thought what I must have read it, that it was Kirk and, and and Elaine together. So Elaine was the most inspiring, was she? Yeah, she got number one, mm. and then and okay. then the, the, and then in excess. Um, but it was a picture of Tim and Kirk got number four. Look at the bloody hell was number two and three. There's no one else that matters. Is there? <laughs> Probably some huh? chef. <laughs> Probably you, Bert. Probably uh, our friend. If Curtis I was there, the I'd be up there, wouldn't I? <laughs> I'm not on the northern beaches. <laughs> All right, B. Well, that's the news for the week. That's True Love by Marching Girls, which is one of my favourite songs off Dogs in Space. I was also looking through and I found this. It's fantastic. It's a bit of gold, so I hope you enjoy it. This is Troy um, interviewing Sam, the actual person that Michael played in Dogs in Space. Watch out on our social medias because I will actually show you the video and you'll see that Michael and Sam are very, very alike and same mannerisms. Camera. 
action. Well, here we are once again on the set of Dogs in Space, now speaking to Mr. Samuel Sajovka, which the character that Michael Hutchins is playing in the script is based around. Now, Samuel, there's lots of factors in this film, I guess, that are really close to home, of course, for you. But one thing I'm interested in more than anything is... You've done acting, haven't you? You studied acting at school. Yeah, I've done a bit of acting. acting. And do you think, um, if you had to play Michael, what would you feel like? I don't think I could do it. I'd be too self-conscious. Of being I'd... yourself or being like Michael? Of being like Michael. I don't know. He probably didn't have too much to do with it at the time. But the thing is that um, I probably would mess it up. I think I probably would act out. Hey, this is Tim Farris, well done Hayden and B. You've made my brothers and I very proud of what you've achieved so far. A big hello to all your listeners and NXS fans. Well, B, we're very, very lucky to have part two of our deep dive with Richard uh, Lowenstein. And as I said, a lot of last week was sort of leading up to the moments we're going to talk about today. But uh, um, I guess between you and I, we are excited to get another chance to sort of elaborate furtherly with him today. Yes, let's go. This is Ella from Middleburg, the Netherlands. You're listening to In Excess, Access All Areas with Hayden and Dee. And now it's time for the topic of the week. We're very pleased to have Richard Lowenstein. Uh, Lowenstein. Join us today for the podcast of In Excess, Access All Areas. Hello, Richard. Lowenstein. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Richard. The Prague sessions, we know you did three videos over there, but, you know, the I think the cinematic side yeah. of what Prague looked like, was it sort of a case, I'll do one for you, Chris, and you do one for me, let me go to Prague? Was that sort of the, the genesis? No, it was, um, it was just by that stage. Um, I'd been to Prague. On, on with Strikebound and I'd been to Kalavari and I'd been to places behind the Iron Curtain and, you know, in excess were touring, obviously, and I, I remember just saying, you guys don't know nothing until you go behind the Iron Curtain. And, of course, Chris was, you know, he was a Thatcherite. He was not going anywhere near a <laughs> communist country. And, you know, this there seemed to be a run of, like, you know, post post talking to a stranger and they seemed to be like okay, we'll do whatever you want. And I'm, I'm really kind of thought, well, I'm not going to miss this opportunity. I want to film in Prague. And I, I basically put it as like, I, that's the only way I'm doing it. It's saying, yeah, I've got other, other off. You know, I was a little arrogant, little prick. I'm saying, I've got a, I've got a feature film I want to do. And da, 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 da. But, you know, I will do it if you go to Prague. And then it's sort of like, Obviously, he didn't want to, and da, da, da. and I'd also, I'd also um, talked Michael up, you know, not so much that we got a film there. It's more like Michael, do you got to go there? It's insane. It's beautiful. Blah blah blah. And I might have mentioned we should do a video there, but <laughs> so it's like didn't really know what to do except try to work out how to get them to Prague and enable it to happen. And then as we I think to, to help with the budget of it all, he threw in two songs. So it was New Sensation and Never Tear Us Apart. But, you know, honestly, when I listened to Never Tear Us Apart and I'd been to Prague and I going, I was just going, the look and feel of that city, which looks like it's uh, lost in time because there was no 
Um, no bombings. Tourism. Yeah. There was no signs. There was no signs of you know there the. The, the modern signs are all over it now, but there was no McDonald's. There was no, it really was going back in time, like a period film set. I'm going that, that, you know, the music speaks of mm-hmm. that location to me. It's just a matter of working out how to put the band in that location and you'll get, you'll get a combination, much like, you know, if you make a film and you say, I'm going to film in Paris or whatever, or it's going to be set in the 1800s, you have a lot more going for you than just filming in your backyard, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, you used to, have, I think, the little dollies or, you know, that little elevated thing where you're going up and down and yes, the aerial the shots. Well, but they didn't, they didn't yeah. have any of those, so we had to get them in from Munich and Steadicam and everything. It was, it was quite an ordeal. threw in uh, Guns in the Sky just as a free bonus. Nobody <laughs> yes. nobody knew I was doing it, and I just said, all right, let's do that. That was Troy's idea, I think, actually. Uh. <laughs> yes, I think John might have been worse for wearing that clip, wasn't he, I think? Uh, yeah, he was. He'd been uh, hitting the vodka the night before. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Go to do two, come back with three. Normally, if it, if it was Guns and Roses, you would have gone there to do three and come back with half or one. <laughs> yeah, it's just... There was also no fresh food there, so vodka and... Vodka and, and chips were all we could eat, I think. <laughs> Hayden's always mentioned about Never Tear Us Apart that you used the audio um, was a, a long intro. Did you have to fight for that or was that something that you were just given for the video? It was one of my demands again, but um, it, it didn't have a problem. You know, Andrew Farris just gave me a loop of that opening and uh, he, he did it and he was into it. I skipped Michael that time. I just went straight to Andrew and said, like, you know, that was his keyboard part. I'm going, I just need that extended because, you know, you've spent all this money to fill up these shots before the actual song starts and it would be great. You know, and it was it was a bit of a vogue then to have all these extended intros to videos and outros and everything and, you know, screen credits at the end and, and whatnot. So I just said, like, that's what I'm doing. And, you know, some people can play it and other people won't. That era I had I had Chris Murphy over a barrel, to be honest. It's like he was in shock at what had happened on both What You Need and Needed Tonight, and he's just going, I want you to do everything. You know? <laughs> and then, wow. But I also knew as soon as something failed or wasn't brilliant, yes. um, I would be, you know, his, his, his loyalty was not his uh, main, no. what his main attribute. So I knew that if as soon as I fumbled, he would be looking elsewhere, which is exactly what he did. Naval gazing story insertion. I was fortunate enough to go to uh, a gig at the Palace for in excess in early '93. Mm-hmm. Um, not the Palais, but the old Palace next to it. Yep. Um, yep. And apparently that night they were going off to film the gift film clip around Melbourne. So we were driving all around the streets of Port Melbourne to try find you guys filming it. 
Um, years and years later, I saw some extra footage. A lot of it was filmed in the daytime, I think. But uh, 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 yes, tell us yes. about the GIF, that film clip. Uh, unfortunately, got banned in America, which normally means increased sales. But it was such a great, innovative clip as well. Do you have some good memories of that? Yeah, that was another one where, um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of always... I'm always, I was always looking to sort of push the edge of the envelope with the videos, but you really do need a good song or an interesting song or a different song to push that. And I thought Needed Tonight was one. Never Tear Us Apart obviously had its great cinematic qualities. So does What You Need. But when, and, but then you compare it to things like, like you mentioned, This Time or, even new sensation, they're all quite ordinary compared to things like the gift, you know? So when the gift got played to me, I, I, again, I said, this is another one that I can do you a really good video with hmm. like a video, you know, that harks back to some of the stuff we were doing on talking to a stranger that will, you know, hopefully blow people away. Took a lot of doing, and we, you know, we had to do all these sort of exploding green screens and things. And it was the latest sort of, you know, it was the early stages of digital technology. And so, doing things which now are dead easy was was you know, doing all nighters in the post production studio. We're mapping mapping bits of images to the exploding um, green screen and things like that. I think you could only do 30 seconds at one go in the post house because the, the computers didn't have enough memory for more yep. than 30 seconds of video, yep. which is hard to believe now. But um, so we came up with the concept, you know, by that stage I was so cocky. I All I did was tell the band, you know, I wrote up something on a, a napkin saying, you know, bursting through exploding walls and all this stuff going on, you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, I mean, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, your ability to, I mean, there were bands in the 80s. I mean, there's a real good thing about the 80s and innovation. Then there's the spandex and the pyrotechnics of bands, which are really, I mean, some of those videos probably cost 10 times as much, but your creativity of being able to, really every video, you couldn't say it's derivative of the next video. I mean, I mean, Nietzsche's not what you need to have a similarity, but they're, again, different in their arc. But yeah, cre- creativity is not always financially based. I guess that means you budget's high or low. You had to come up with some creative concepts uh, every time, you know? It's a hell of a lot of work. Even when I think, you know, I, I thought the money was okay at the time, but I think now, and for what I know, what they paid, um, I think you mentioned David Mallet, people like that or Godly and Cream, it's, I mean, that I was, I was grossly undercharging for the amount of work that, that was put in to yeah. it. So, I, you know, sometimes I would get a little lazy on things, you know, it, uh, something would come in like um, 
uh, one of those simpler ones I did. Bit of, bit of tears? Bit of tears or something like that, you know, and I just sort of go, oh, you know, it's like I've, I've spent three months on the last one and it was like, it was great, but it was a lot of work and now it's kind of I'll just do something simpler. Yeah. And, and yeah, and I, I think that's kind of a little bit when Chris was going, oh, he's not trying as hard this time, you know. I need perfection. Some twisted selection that tangles me. With Mystify, I think I heard you say somewhere that some of the footage from the 60s and 70s from film was a lot easier to sort of uh, retrieve and work with than some of the, the sort of the videotape stuff that sort of was synonymous with the 80s. We had three editors. The, yep. the two main ones were myself and Lynn yep. Marie Melbourne. Yes, who, yes. Who worked. And then Taylor was, um, we promoted her from assistant to editor because she really was uh, very skilled and she was our third editor. Yep. And so it was a real editing tour de force. Three of us just sat there for uh, close to six to nine months, you know, working on sequences and then discussing and and refining and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, we, we absolutely needed that third hand to come in and um, help us help us out. And uh, and we had started with an, uh, another editor, like I wasn't going to edit it, but then I sort of thought, well, editing in, in a film like Mr. F- it's the main filmmaking process really, isn't it? I mean, what does a director do apart from do the interviews and um, mm. and sit there next to the editor. So I took over the editing concept from our initial editor pre- previous to us three. Yeah, it was, uh, I'm, I'm sort of glad I did. The amount of experience that you go through in doing what we do is many lifetimes. The problem is holding on to a fixed point for long enough to understand it. All fails in this you know when there's one person in the room that has a special light, that was him. He was the complete package. And everyone wanted a piece of him. Michael always had that aura about him. If you're a sensual being, all of your senses need stimulation. A lot of it was based around pleasure, let's face it. I don't like the idea of goals. I don't like the idea of success. He actually wanted to be an artist. I think it confused him whether he wanted to take on being Michael Hutchins. It started to take its toll on him. We were riding home on our bikes. This insane taxi driver got out of his car and punched him. And right from the get-go, Michael was kind of different. I just felt this incredible, overwhelming sense of sadness. This is not the Michael that I know. He was a shy kid. He didn't want to walk into a room full of people that he had seen. Anticipation. Anxiety attack. 
I remember asking Michael what his definition of rock and roll was. He said... Liberation. Sometimes your stars line up and everything in life clicks. And sometimes you're fighting against nature itself. From the technology side of things, working with film, archival film versus videotape, um, you probably had an assortment of things dating back to the 70s and the, the heavy yes. stuff from the 80s, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, technology's improved, but um, tell us about that, how you archived and were able to bring things well, to life. I think it's one of the reasons you're seeing such the um, so many sort of really great archive uh, documentaries. It was incredibly expensive to scan the old film to the high quality that you, we now can quite cheaply. So all those kind of rolls of film that you see in Mystify, even the 16 millimeter of Michael and Kylie and everything, were just rolls of film that had been in my attic. And now we could put them up on a scanning machine and project them or see them like they were projected in a cinema and in all their glory. But before that, there was this sort of the um, the cliche of the you know the home movies projected on a wall and it was all a bit blurry and everything and everyone would love that but it really wasn't doing justice to the original quality of the film. So we we had this um, as we went through you know there's an incredible amount of research going on to an archival documentary like Mystify. So as all the different formats were coming in going from, you know, Super 8 to old old video from the 70s, as you're saying, it became almost like a history of the, the different video formats that we had to deal with. We sort of played that up with sometimes with the, um, the poor resolution of stuff and making it, and, and not, instead of sort of going, oh, we'll keep this small and square and looking like old video, I was, we were sort of blowing it up and sharpening it and filling the widescreen with it. I, I do get sick of those widescreen films that sort of say, oh, this is this is the old square format and we're just going to have black left and right. So I, even if it was old video, I wanted it to fill the screen and and be immersive, you know, even if it was just sort of lines of static and uh, a, a blurry image. Yeah. We didn't make it like an uh, a history of the archival formats. What I found interesting was the, uh, I mean, B&I, we're, we're the captive audience, you know, we love Michael, the band, and, and your work, et cetera. So it was always going to play to us really well. Um, but I do remember going there and watching it and being completely absorbed from start to finish. You know, since it went global and things like that, I think Ryan Reynolds, the actor, posted something about a year ago having watched it on a streaming service in Canada. Mm. And he was like, wow, like, you know, he was probably old enough to remember Michael but maybe young enough not to appreciate the overall peak of his career. Um, mm. I know you got some nominations, I think, with NME publications in the UK, which are, you know, ironically, we're always skating on Michael. He's, he's probably got him from his from his uh, from heaven now. Good on you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, just the the critical response and the uh, I guess everything's you know measured in rotten tomatoes and all these things these days. But it must have been heartening the feedback you got. For myself as a fan, Michael passed in '97 pre the internet and. 
rumour and scuttlebug and all that sort of stuff, you know, was very rife in those next 12, 18 months to two years. But I think people who watched this got a very factual account of just where Michael was and what most likely happened and all that scuttlebug and stuff like that. I think it's helped heal and also educate a lot of people who were quite tawdry in their reflections of what happened to Michael. Yeah, and I want to thank you for that. Well, that was one of the main reasons I made the film. And I do, I I, I don't know if I'm fantasising, but I do kind of feel previous, as I was researching and everything and previous to Mystify, I was I was hearing all this stuff, you know, you'd say I'm making a film about Michael Hutchinson. Oh, the guy that yeah. wanked himself to death or yeah. something like this. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually got to say that... Um, you know, now it's a year or so after the film. I don't really hear that much anymore. No. You know? <laughs> it's not, it's, it's like the, the, the reality of the story, even though there's still question marks in certain areas, as there will always be in a suicide, I think, you know, that the people actually sort of um, don't just have the Murdoch press and the sort of scurrilous tabloids to go with. They actually have, you know, uh, a proper a properly educational but also entertaining legitimate portrait. You know, I do think I I owed that to Michael and I do think he would have been absolutely horrified whatever state he was in if that was going to be his legacy. And I didn't actually see, you know, I didn't see the band or their management doing anything much to right that wrong, you know, anything legitimate or anything... It was all, you know, to be honest, I, I, don't, I think they were so, even even when by the time we were making Mystify, they were so confused still about why, what happened, that they weren't sure enough to make a definitive statement. So it was very emotional when they all saw the film and everything and they sort of all hugged and thanked me because they knew it was incredibly difficult for me with their management, like, you know, it was, yeah. I, I cannot begin to tell you the pain I, yeah, we, that that yeah. man put me through, that manager put me through. It was just, you with know, it made Chris, me. <laughs> Chris, Chris put you through pain. Oh, really? <laughs> Look, for us on this podcast, we're, we're a warts and all podcast series and, you know, we, we're not sycophantic in every, anything that, you know, has to sort of be blinded. And in regards to Chris, I mean, it was really everything you sort of allude to has been backed up in many cases by different people over time. You know, it reminds me of Don Henley saying about, I think, Irving Azoff, he says he might be Satan, but he's our Satan. Mm. Uh, But the reality was I do remember you humbly and very gratefully speaking about Tiger, I think, being able to ring up some, some management in the UK, maybe some Universal or someone there to get some of the recordings released for her dad's documentary. I think the were the words you used and overnight certain things changed in that regard I think for you to get more in excess tracks is that right oh absolutely I I mean I wanted to dedicate the film to Tiger because without without her we would not have any original in excess music even if the band members had wanted to have it in I don't believe we would have had any original in excess music without her because Chris Murphy had control. They'd signed over control to him. She didn't want it to be uh, like that. She didn't want it to be dedicated. She wanted to be very, in fact, she didn't even want her name on the film and she sort of got a bit upset when I started talking about her in interviews, but always positive. But she is kind of a saint really who made this thing happen. 
by some very specific actions she did towards the end when I had an edit with obviously all the songs I wanted in it. And we were looking like we were, you know, even the, the, the big experienced British producer I had, John Batsick, was saying it looked like we're going to have to take it all out, you know, and do one of those documentaries where you don't have music. And, I, you know, I, it, it aged me unnecessarily. And it's, it's quite interesting how a soundtrack came out simultaneously that tried to link itself to the movie. <laughs> oh, that was, that was just tacky. I mean, you know, I could, I could go on. I could release um, Chris Murphy's full interview in his own voice and it would be the most damning anti-Christmas thing. It's like, it was, it was like, it's like, you know, in those interviews of Trump where he doesn't actually realize he's, he's indicting himself. It was, yeah. he, it was unbelievable. At the end of the day, we did have edits where Chris Murphy comes across like the devil, but then we started cutting it all out just because we thought it was spiteful and it's yeah. not really what the film was about. And, yeah. I think you know. it was a classy representation. I could sense through, you know, some of the interviews you did around the press tour around that time that like in any of these things, you got one arm tied behind your back. And I think we, we deal with the band a little bit and we sense that there's the music side and mm. there's their career and the retrospective and then there's the business side and they don't really have much control on the business side, you know. Um, is, no, is, they you should know, have. Yeah. But they should have had control, but they... I think they're realising that now. <laughs> yeah, but they, yeah. there's a lot of... Um, there was a lot of psychological things going on, the need for a father in all, you know, the, the father... He was a bit of a father figure, Chris, and he yeah. was like... They always go, oh, the devil, you know, the yeah. devil you know or something, like one yeah. of their songs. And uh, yeah. no, that's a Kylie song. Yeah, better the devil you know. <laughs> better the and, devil um, inside, huh? <laughs> yeah, the devil. And and it was sort of like, yeah, but you could be so much more if you just took control of things, you know? <laughs> I say that a lot, don't I, Hayden? We do, we do. <laughs> I understand the predicament. Some of the band members had just been pushed to the outside and they said, I'm helpless. I can't do anything. I'm not, you know, I haven't spoken to anyone for six, you know, there's, it's, you don't need a rocket scientist to work out which ones, but you know, and I felt really, really sympathetic and had a lot of empathy because of the Michael thing that had their whole career sort of torn apart. I do believe they might've had times of splitting up and everything, but they would have, you know, they would have been playing now and they would have gotten back together and Michael definitely would have gotten, he would have had a, just like Mick Jagger, he would have done a solo album and then it's like, you know, here I go back within excess playing the songs and writing new ones. to a certain age then you have that sort of uh you know heritage uh you know like acdc you do the victory lap for the next 10 years don't you you know absolutely and if the if the management had just ridden those waves and seen what was so obviously in front of them michael 
loved being in NXS. He might have had individual spats with individual band members and whatever, but he needed NXS. He wasn't. It wasn't going to be like Sting leaving Police, you know. No, and and no. and that's that's literally. I'm. I think what Murphy was terrified of, you know, many years ago with back with get back going with Max Q. He yeah. thought. He thought Michael was so talented he was going to leave in excess and, and become... I think it's the great underestimation of Michael's character that Chris made to think yes. that, oh, my God, they're here, hit now, Michael's going to go solo like Jagger did or whatever and not realise yes. that Michael was such a decent, loyal, you know, understood, you know, you know, the six of them together were greater than the sum of their parts. But, you know, you can let an artist go off and do some solo stuff and they can come back to the fold. It's not, you know, if you stifle creativity like that, you know, those things, you know, you do scare people away. It's almost Absolutely. a fulfilling and prophecy. It, it, it didn't take a rocket scientist to work out that Michael wanted and needed family. And I don't, it, it's what got him into the sticky situation with Paula and it's also what would have kept him with the band. He, he would have kept returning to his family, and that he was an orphan practically. Yeah. And that was, yeah. and that was, um, that was his family. And he would have yeah. kept coming back. He would have done solo stuff and yeah. and been happy and kept coming back for those tours. You know, well, Andrew said to us quite. Oh, poignantly go on, on, yeah. on our, I was just going to say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you say B. I've dominated a bit here today, but mm-hmm. he said something really poignant, didn't he, on the bus that and Michael had said to Andrew. You say Yeah. B. We had Andrew on the show um, a couple of months ago, and Andrew said that while they were on the Elegantly Wasted tour, they were on the tour bus, and um, Michael just turned to them and said, I feel complete with you. I feel safe yeah. safe, and you are my family. And they just went, oh, shut the fuck up. You know, they didn't realise yeah. now what he was going through at the time with his head injury and um, what was he on? What, the, the tablet? Prozac. And it Prozac. Prozac. Yeah. 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 But it was Prozac. the post-Paula stuff in London and all that. You know, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's a mess. Yeah, I wish, mess. They, I wish they'd said that to me for the – I wish Andrew had said that to me for the film, but, uh, yeah, that's a <laughs> great. <laughs> but, yeah, no, Look, it's, it's, it's yeah. absolutely correct. He's, he, he was, you know, he, <clears throat> he tried he to them. create – he tried to create a family with Paula mm. and everything. Of course, in Michael's way, it was dysfunctional and it <laughs> picked the wrong person. Mm. And and he um and the band was his family, always had been. He and you fight with your family, you squabble, yeah. you fight, and everything. Mm-hmm. But you keep coming back to them and saying, "I love you guys," you know. Yeah. And it was one of the one of the biggest um, sort of issues that I that you know I sort of. Um, discovered when I was researching, you know, his illness or the the head injury and everything was that because the reaction to it was so similar to a pop star with an overblown ego that even the band members didn't really understand what was going on because they just thought Michael's head's getting too big. He's a big rock star now. And, you know, they didn't actually... In hindsight, they do, but they didn't actually give it the full credit it deserved because they just thought Michael's being an asshole, just like Jim Morrison became an asshole or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and also, yeah, also too now, men's health issues are more talked about. They're more open. There's more mm-hmm. we're in the information age where there's more access to, you know, content and prescription drugs and depression yeah. and wellness yeah. and all these things that probably weren't available to the blue ribbon guy back then. You know, we were you no, know, suck, yeah. suck it up and see a bit, weren't we? You know? 
And also Michael was hiding the real details. He was keeping it secret because he was terrified because of the pressure on him to write another hit single. He was terrified that, that he would get treated like a joke or something because he's brain damaged or something like that. So he was, he was not giving people the full information no, at all. No, not, not even Paula. I don't think Paula knew the full extent. Of well, stuff. Helena, Helena was told not to say anything to anybody as well about how That's serious right. it was when it first happened. So the pictures that you put on the um, mystified, they aren't Michael's brain damage no, pictures? No, I wish they were because ah. they would have answered a lot of uh, questions. We got doctors to provide us with um, scans of very similar in- injuries. Okay. Yeah. Mm, gosh, because that really shocked me when I saw that. That was probably the most shocking thing. That and seeing well, we Michael's had, we bare had bottom. A verge, yes, we had a ver- <laughs> Yeah, that was <laughs> that was a that bit was shocking. That was shocking. <laughs> yes. Uh, we got more. We went. We are not allowed to put in. <laughs> well, that brings me on to one of the questions. Yeah, B, that just quick, just, oh, just quickly. Sorry. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. I was just going to say it makes me shut up most no, of the time. No, no, no. I'm, I'm about this. to handball over. All right, B. I'll let you take over. Thanks, Richard. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 I'll see if I can do the audios first, Lisa Mac. Richard, I absolutely adore all of your work my most favorite of course being the filming of the kick um album new sensation never tear us apart and guns in the sky a fabulous location what was your inspiration behind going to prague was it the, just the building the moodiness um yeah i'd love to i'd love to know thank you you sort of answered that one actually really haven't you yeah, I can I can add to it. I think um, my my interest was um, filming in a a communist country before it had collapsed, before the wall came down. So you you could feel that the um, not only was the atmosphere incredibly beautiful and suited to the song and the locations and everything, and I'd been there before, but I was very keen to film in a communist country that I knew probably wouldn't be the same in, in 10 years time. And I did, I did a similar thing in uh, with a, another Australian artist called Jenny Morris, uh, where I, I forced them to go to Nicaragua, which is also a communist country <clears throat> and also very beautiful. And we filmed a, a video called uh, Save Me, Salva May, and uh, that she did. It was a great, great song. And we, we filmed in Nicaragua. So but I've gotten it out of my system now. I've got no, <laughs> no desire to go to Russia at the moment. No, no, not at all. Oh, it's not communist anymore, is it, mate? Well, no, but um, you don't want to be around there at the, at the moment with the war at all. Okay, you ready for the next one? Yeah. Hi, Richard. It's Darren here. Um, thanks for all your work and everything you've done for NXS, all those videos and the Mystify thing. That was excellent. Uh, the Dogs in Space movie, that's great. I still watch that. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on Michael uh, as an actor? Do you reckon in, in his later life he would have went into acting and still played with the band now and then? And do you think he would have made a really a great actor? Thanks. I think he was a great actor, but he definitely needed, um, he definitely needed a strong director to to lead him into the 
into the acting. It's like a lot of actors are like this is like, you know, if you leave them to their own devices, they, they don't know when to hold it back or turn it on or whatever. Cause he, he was in a film later on in um, a small role and um, yeah, that's it. I don't think he was directed very well and he wasn't all that charismatic and it was after the accident and everything. But I do think, you know, one of my regrets is I didn't get him to do another indie film after Dogs in Space and I was too busy chasing Hollywood and things like that, which never even eventuated. So, yeah, I, I should have actually put him in a more actory role, not playing a young singer in a pop band, but doing something else. And I think he would have been great. It's, it's an interesting one. I, I don't think he would have taken up acting as a career and um, given up music. I think he would have been in the more of the realm like a, a David Bowie type career where you do the occasional bit of acting, but music was the main thing. Yeah. I mean, he was a born performer. Mm. And acting as a part of that, but I think performing on stage was his big drug, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I get what you're saying. He was approached by Tarantino, wasn't he, at one point? It was a little confusing, that story. He was approached and then he was, I think he, they wanted him to play a voice in something, in some animation as well. And uh, oh. it was all it was all in the, the messy years at the end, but... um. Mm. He, he definitely kept seeing people. His, his personal manager, Martha Trout, definitely took him on a lot of auditions and things towards the end. I, he would have shine, shone more in the, the indie movie scene. Hello, this is Tracy from the UK. If you could have one last conversation with Michael that sadly would not change what happened, what would you say? Mystify revealed Michael's true story to the world. Do you realise what a debt of gratitude Michael's family, friends and fans owe you? What was the first question? If I could say something... If you could say something it, to Michael. Yeah, your last yeah. words to Michael. Well, I don't know if it would save him, but I would I would pretty much say, hang in there, it's going to get better. I've fought with depression myself, possibly not on the same level as Michael's. You know, if if I could say anything, I would say... You need to see a shrink straight away. A professional, yeah. You need to you need to stop it. You need to go on a retreat, see a shrink straight away, and no matter what the doctors have told you about your taste and smell and brain damage, it's 1995 back then. You know when he was seeing the doctors on three, and medicine can improve understanding of brain plasticity can improve and it's not necessarily going to be like this forever. Yeah. And that's probably... Giving him hope in a way. Yeah, Mm. I mean, even the knowledge now that we have looking back of of, um, anosmia and and brain damage and the way you can recover, what Mm. they told him in whenever he got his diagnosis would have been 95 or 94 or something, um, what they told him was completely and utterly incorrect. It doesn't stay like that forever. Other parts of the brain can take over. You can start getting can heal things back. Yeah. And so yeah. he was work he was working in his own mind, he was working with a finality that wasn't a- absolutely correct. And so no. he did not have the full deck of cards as far as 
um, understanding what he was going, he, what he himself was um, going to yeah. go through in the future. And my understanding is that he was seeing different doctors because he wasn't really in the same place all the time. I yeah, think he was seeing someone in correct. Harley Street and then he'd be seeing somebody over in Australia and probably getting different yes. things. We, and, we, we hmm. interviewed all of them. And uh, except the French one, the French one was oh, the, yeah, the French one was too. the was the specialist in anosmia and brain damage. The doc, the one in Harley Street was pretty much just giving him um, pills, yeah, and and didn't actually even have the brains, didn't even see the brain scans. It was just like whatever Michael chose to tell him, mm. you know. So no, none of the doctors were um, were actually had had the full set of information no. and and what he should have been doing is sitting in one spot mm-hmm. not touring not traveling yep. Yep. and seeing and seeing regularly seeing twice a week a therapist as well as whatever relevant medication perhaps not Prozac mm. but he just wasn't equipped to deal with the emotional. And him himself he was wasn't getting. giving the full story to anybody either. So That's right, he, yes. He, he, like, like he wasn't getting the help because he wasn't asking for the help correctly. That's right. So I don't think anybody really knew mm. the, the true situation except himself, you know. Well, this brings me on to a question um, I, I'd like to know. When was the last time you actually saw Michael? It was I, the last few years I hadn't managed. I, I'd had a few phone calls, but I hadn't managed to see him. Oh, that, that's right. I remember now. He was in Melbourne and um, he had Tiger. Tiger had been born and Paula had to race home to deal with Bob Geldof, something that Bob Geldof was doing. He was at a hotel room in the Hyatt Hotel in Melbourne, I think, and had a whole lot of kind of minders and hangers-on in the room. It was a, quite a dark and dismal um, in environment. And he brought me in and showed me Tiger, who was a little baby in her crib and everything. And uh, and she was wonderful, but she was asleep. So, And then we kind of went out into the main area with all these other sort of dodgy types were sitting. It was really quite strange. And he was sort of wishing to go out saying, Oh, we could, we should, we should go out. But I've been told by Paul or as soon as I go out and I'm seen at a nightclub, that that'll be as enough grounds to remove tiger from my, from my custody. Oh, no. And I'm going, I'm sure that's not the case, Michael. No. It's like, you know, not that I wanted to go out. I just wanted to get out of that hotel room. Hotel room. So was that so, around when he'd just been on the Arias and he'd been singing, searching? Possibly. It was yeah, that, that kind of so. era. He, the Arias were in Sydney, so it might have been mm. after the Sydney. But I remember that Paula had been rushed to the airport to get back to London so she could fight Bob over something in court, mm. you know? Yeah. There, there had been one of those, you know, I was a witness to one of those classic angry phone calls where, not with Bob, but where he'd spoken to Paula and then he put his fist through a wall and he was, it was you know, I'd, I'd seen some of the mood swings and also kind of looking at it going, that's not the Michael I know, there's something else going on, you know? He just had so much that was going on with the, the pressure of the tour and then Paula and, and and the brain injury and 
Oh, yeah. and the drugs outside and things as well. Um, yeah. I can't remember who asked me. I think it was Paul Bridges said, um, you've got enough footage <laughs> of Mystify. Is there going to be Mystify number two or is there going to be any more that you can um, give the fans? I don't know. We did. We, we released a lot of extras, all the extras. I did on the see DVD. those. Yeah, yeah they cool. I mean, they're pretty, they're pretty much all the scenes we had in the original very long film that we, um, so we didn't waste anything. There's a lot of footage still and a lot of, but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I want to go into that nightmare of music rights or anything. So at the moment there could be some more extras if I get the time, but at the moment we're just got our head down trying to get this mini series. Yeah. Yeah. No, it sounds so, uh, cool. it's, uh, yeah, it's sort of like, I, I sort of relates a little bit back to, even though Chris Murphy's not with us anymore, relates a little bit back to the, I had such a painful time and for, for absolutely no reason uh, other than one man's ego, I had such a painful time that by the time it was all done and over and Tiger had saved the day, I was just exhausted mentally and physically and I, I sort of didn't want to, even listen to their songs anymore, you know. So oh, like it, it, but you did it, a fair it, amount yeah. of touring with that, with Mystify as well. Yeah, you well, you have to, I mean, I, I enjoyed it and mm. uh, I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed the sort of uh, the fact that we had won the day, we did have his music and we had, we had succeeded. It was just the journey to get there was just, you, you don't mind a, a tough journey when it's literally you got to do it. But when the, when the journey was needlessly extra tough just because some person's ego is out of control, you know, it's, it's a bit like the Putin situation. It, yeah. was, just, it was just unnecessary. It was of, of absolutely no consequence, all the hell, and it was hell. Even the English producer said it was utter hell. It was ab- absolutely no use and no consequence. They didn't higher fees. In fact, they got lesser fees. We were offering really large amounts of money for the rights and it was no, 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 no. So, you know, the band missed out on uh, uh, close to a hundred thousand dollars worth of royalties they could have got out of this um, because of this stupidity going on, you know. And, And was it Murphy or was it Universal? Oh, it wasn't Universal. Universal oh, okay. wanted it. it was so not Universal. Universal were making um, lots of independent contacts saying, uh, with me saying, we'll do what we can. We want it to happen. We love John Batsik. We love the idea. We love what we've seen. It was nothing to do with Universal. They, they'd made, you know, they'd been involved in the Amy film and they, they, it went really well for them and lots of documentaries. They, they wanted this documentary to be made and Chris so, just was be, because I wouldn't do what he wanted. He wanted. <coughs> and, and he he wanted to make his own in excess Michael movie. Yeah, but I, is that what but it that was? Is, that was? That was even my idea. I said, look, in order, if you allow me to do this, I will make you, you know, for almost nothing – uh, in excess documentary. I've got all the interviews. I've got all the footage. So let me do an in excess documentary after we do the Michael one, but just let us do that. 
and that was one of my bargaining chips, you know, as long mm. with, uh, you would have got much more music royalties. I could have raised the money for another one. He didn't have to, but he, one of the problems was he wanted all the profit from the documentary, <sighs> like not just, not just, um, half of it or whatever. He wanted all of it, like all the labor and everything. The budget was the same. So I'm supposed to work for seven years for what was less than unemployment benefits. So Chris Murphy could get all the profit. And I just went, that ain't going to happen. You know, it's like, no, he kept telling the band, the the film's got no music. It's going to collapse. Nobody, the investors are pulling. He told the band all sorts of lies, you know, an unnamed band member called him the, the Trump of rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't, shouldn't speak ill of the, of the deceased. I know, so. but he's, he's upset a lot of people, really has. I've got a yeah. question from Glenn Davis. Um, what piece of advice did either you and Michael share regarding your close um, friendship with Michael? We shared a lot of anecdotes and stories. You know, we gave each other kind of romantic advice, which both on both fronts was a bit dubious. I'd known him really well during the time he was with Michelle, which was his, you know, longest relationship with Michelle Bennett. And when that all exploded, um, I was a kind of a shoulder to lean on and everything. And then similar, I've had tumultuous ups and downs in my emotional life and he would he would give me um you know he was some, a good ear wasn't he yeah he I was hear, a good listener. yeah it was a good was listener, good listener. And, uh, mm. i'm not sure that either of our advice was very good because we were kind of <laughs> quite stupid young men really yeah. and, <laughs> let's and just go out romance, and have a good time <laughs> yeah as far as romance concerned we kind of lived like there was no tomorrow oh. um i mean the advice i I gave was stay away from heroin because heroin uh, mm. in uh, Melbourne was rife and obviously all around the making of dogs in space. But he seemed incredibly aware of that and said, absolutely, you know, that's a, that's a horrific drug mm. and stay away from it, you know. Mm. I guess what the, the advice uh, I remember him giving me is this is back in around the time I needed tonight before anyone had heard of ecstasy. He said, this is a really good pill called ecstasy. It has no after effects. You should take it and see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> and that it wasn't great advice because it, it didn't go so well. But, oh, um, didn't it? Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's all ecstasy as I was like, it's a bit of a, you know, when you when it first came out, it was a bit of a truth drug. It was a bit like you feel uninhibited and you can tell everyone everything and um, all the things you've been keeping secrets. And sometimes there's a reason why you should keep secrets. So <laughs> probably, well, I, just, um, I just liked it as a love. I, I just loved everybody when I was on it. <laughs> yeah, there was I'm all a bit, that. I'm a bit like that anyway. <laughs> but you start, you start saying things to people you perhaps shouldn't right. and uh, it is a truth yes yeah. but yeah no the, that the lovey side was great and so yeah i remember i remember his piece of advice is hit this pill's really great you should take it <laughs> bless him you, you, you 
It's made me think about um, when you were talking about Michelle then and that she's gone on to be in films and producing too and uh-huh. directing. Did you have any influence on that? Well, the, her first company we set up together, Cherub oh. Pictures, when we did that U2 um, concert film with B.B. King, the Love Town film, yeah. we, we produced that together. So she was a... She was an agent for photographers and things in Sydney, yeah. and I and I kept saying, um, you know, you can do, you can, you know, yeah, you, you're running this agency really well, and you're doing really well. Why don't you produce? And then, basically, oh, I'm not experienced enough, and everything. I said, well, come and and I basically the love town thing was just like we want you to do this let's do it you know and i needed a producer and i just rang her up and said all right the money's there it's all easy it's just booking the equipment much like a a big photo shoot you can produce this let's do it and i paid her a good fee and everything and then at the end of it all i think we both ended up in Dublin, you know, mixing it in Dublin or something. So it was quite a journey. And then uh, at the end of it all, we said, well, well, this went well, let's start a company together. We did for a while, but the whole Melbourne, Sydney thing got in the way and I was never there for any of the the jobs she got offered. And she um, ended up taking on other directors, including Andrew Dominic, which was um, how she got to do Chopper or how, yeah, how the Chopper thing happened. She took on Andrew Dominic as a music video and commercials director. Yeah. Because I I was I always had my head buried in a script or something. And then Andrew Dominic did pretty good at all that. And then next thing you know, they were making Chopper together. She's gone on from strength to strength, making film after film since then. I know, I know. You yeah. see her name pop up everywhere now in Australia. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, thanks to you. I knew there would be something there. I mean Well, thanks to Thanks to her uh, abilities as well. Oh, of course, yeah. Not everyone can be a director, but uh, can be a producer. But um, mm. but she she rose to the occasion, and she's really good, and everyone wants to work with her. Question. Katie Louise, who is a police lady over in um, England, which is your favourite in excess video? Oh. Oh. Probably Guns in the Sky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Had you been drinking vodka the night before as well with John? Oh, <laughs> uh, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't, it was just... Um, it was it was just on the spur of the moment and it has a great energy and it was done in 20 minutes, so... Yeah, I love how they're all changing clothes. Um, One minute, Michael's got the fur coat on and then two months. That's our friend Troy, yeah. Yeah, I should imagine. I I watched um, Eco Homo the other day. Oh, yes. I loved it. I really did. You did such a good job with that. It was, you just wanted to embrace him and hug him and know more about him like just taking on his characters of being a woman in the 80s and then just going, no, nah, don't want to be that anymore. And then, yes. wow. He was like yeah. a, he was like a born actor inside him in a way. 
Yes, no, we 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 loved him and we loved making the film, and it was uh, it hasn't really had proper distribution or anything because it you know it's not a rock star story or anything, but it was um, it was good to do, and I'm glad we made it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'll I'll be advertising it on the show, so hopefully everybody because I bought it the other day off. Um, is it oh, emo? Very good. Dogs in Space book. Is this still in print? Still in, there's still in print. There's plenty of copies. Fantastic. So if I can buy a few copies of you um, that you can sign for the show. You just send through how many you want and what you want me to write or whatever, and I can sign. And um, we can. We, we can, can post that. them to you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I can hear that you you need to I'm, get on with life. I'm heading. I'm heading back into my office now. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll let you go. I'll just say one thing though, Richard. Um, I mm-hmm. have met you a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you remember going to the gallery to see Michael's photos. Photos. Yes. Yes. yes that's where I thought I'd met you. Yes. Yeah. The I, was, I was walking down the street, um, arriving by myself. And you were stuck in a car And I had to pull you out the car Do you remember that bit? Um, vaguely, yes That sounds correct <laughs> I was thinking yes. my first proper meeting of you And I'm helping you out of the car This will be 112 shows We've been doing them every week yeah. In excess And we've had yes. lots of people on And we spoke about you on the very first show And we were very excited When then you said yes um, That you would come on Because you were always part of the In excess um, journey for us So thank you so much for coming on the show My, my pleasure All right. Fantastic Take care Richard Thank you Thanks a lot Alright bye 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 This is Sheila from Birmingham, Alabama. This is Susan from Cincinnati, Ohio. Hi, this is Maytay from Montreal, Canada. This is Suzanne from Los Angeles, California. And that's a wrap. Well, what a generous, generous guest and... um you know, we uh, we do know that maybe there could have been a few little technical things because Richard was sort of uh, uh, recording via his vehicle <laughs> at the front of work and things like that. But we do hope some of the sonics came through okay. But what a guest and, and what a generous guest, Pete. Yeah, uh, I love how he said to us um, he, he felt great afterwards. He felt that he it was therapy for him to actually get a lot of this off his chest as well. Some of the things that he was going to get quite passionate about and that he was allowed to talk about now because a certain person wasn't around um but uh yes it was um very enlightening um i really wish we'd had him longer because there's other things i'd like to have talked to him about um but um yeah i hope you got a lot out of that because we did well i mean look hopefully he enjoyed enough to you know maybe have another invitation back in the future where Mm. you know we could just tackle one issue you know or one area or two areas you know to dive deep on etc rather than try to cover the whole career um which even today, we couldn't do everything. But uh, um, as we said earlier in the show, you know, Richard's going to personally sign and autograph um, uh, a copy of Dogs in Space uh, for anyone individually who orders it. It'd be fantastic for those who are keen to add to their archive archival collection uh, and have uh, something else in the library book, uh, library area at your home. 
I know we say, well, I say this about nearly all our guests, how lovely they are, but he's an absolute darling, isn't he? He's just very laid back and listening and, uh, yeah, really thankful that we, we got him on. You know, he's, he really is an, an auteur and, you know, and what I mean by that is a, he's a real artistic artistic purist and I don't think he makes really many decisions in his career based on the commerciality of things. I think he's always gone into every task with a sense of what can I create creatively here, what's going to stand the test of time, well, what do I want to put my name to? And um, I think, you know, I look through his biography and it's a really interesting sort of body of work. Um, an interesting juxtaposition about that is that, in the last 24 hours, 48 hours, uh, the famous actor Mickey Rourke was interviewed uh, by uh, Piers Morgan on his Uncensored show, and he was asked about Tom Cruise. He said, oh, Tom Cruise is irrelevant. And it's, it was really interesting because, um, uh, you know, Top Gun's done $600 million in America. It's probably going to do another 600 700 overseas. He's got all these mission possibles out there. But Mickey Rourke said something interesting, and I, and I want this to sort of, for the context of this to understand, he said, He's been making, you know, Tom's been making the same sort of movie type for 30 years. Has he stretched himself as the actor? Because I think he's a good actor, but has he stretched himself to the full talents of his acting ability? Well, you would probably sort of say in one level, that's a little bit like art for art's sake. You've got someone like Richard Lowenstein who makes art, you know, who goes out there to, with a project and makes art. Yet you'll have someone like Michael Bay from, you know, um, uh, Transformers who'll make a, an extended video clip, you know. And, you know, the, the point I'm trying to sort of get at is that, you know, Richard's craft is that, you know, he doesn't go for box office returns. He doesn't go for commercial sort of sort of sales, et cetera. He goes, I want to make a project I believe in that I'm be proud of. And some of the best resumes of actors and directors over their journey are the ones who do it for the right reasons. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, uh, I get, I get what you're saying, and um, yeah. yeah, Richard does do that. I don't really like what you're saying about. I'm, I'm not a real good. I'm not like a, a Tom Cruise fan. I actually do like Mickey Rourke, especially when he was in the Wrestler and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Tom Cruise has done some, some like you know theatre stuff, and it, yeah. But I think what he's saying is that if you think about Tom Cruise's think- last fifteen movies. He has the last movie he probably stretched himself in really uh, on an artistic level. It might have been Collateral, um, may have been Magnolia. Um, most of what Tom does now is, is tentpole, uh, blockbuster type movies that are uh, for the popcorn franchise. You know, Chris Hemsworth, you know, Chris Hemsworth is not an actor's actor. He's just like, you know, July 4th, America release a big movie every year. Um, and I think that's where he was coming from. So, again, it's not here to criticise Tom Cruise because, you know, there's a market for, for what he does. But I think, you know, the interesting thing was whilst we're putting this show together, I was thinking, yeah, you know, Richard Richard doesn't sort of sit back and go, how can I make a cookie-cutter movie to make maximum dollars at the box office? He goes, well, I want to make something that's artistic, mm-hmm. you know, um, and something that's credible. And I think Mystify is an example of that. You know, it was a very, very... Um, uh, artistically driven, premised, whatever there. It wasn't salacious. It wasn't exploitative. It wasn't like some of those mini, not not the Inexcess miniseries, but some of the other ones that have come out exploiting Michael, you know? Mm-hmm. It was done with sort of the, the utmost of care and attention. So yeah, yeah. anyway, we're probably digressing a little bit well, into it. 
you you got me thinking about last week actually when when we started off talking to Richard and he was talking about um his his next adventure next venture which yeah. is the um, mini series so I'm looking yeah. forward to to that that's yeah. going to be coming out hopefully that's right. um, next year I think he said yeah well I think they're not even really, uh, uh, I guess. Uh, uh, recording Started. yet, but yeah. there's still a lot of pre-production work going. But it's again, it's a labour of one love. To watch. And I guess, mm. Yeah, one to watch. Uh, now, fan engagement, Pete. We've had lots of fan engagement over the last week or two. You're going to mention a few of them, but there's one particular fan engager who's gone out of his way this week. We're going to mention two. Over to you. Yeah, well, there's one or two. Um, one is our bard, bard from Norway. What an absolute superstar. So um, Hayden asked you if you would send in your mixtapes. He has done more than just one mixtape. He's um, <laughs> actually did his, his own podcast for us. And right. it, uh, it, I can't send it to you all, guys, because he's he's actually sent me the, the music all in, the whole music, which is fantastic. I'm really enjoying it. And it's all the remixes. And he's cut it in. What was in. the theme? Was there a theme there? Uh, yeah, he's cut bit? it in with In Excess and Michael talking. And, oh, it is really, really good. Like I just said to him, I can retire. You know, he he's the next level, different to us. <laughs> but, yeah, if he wants to put another podcast out, I would back him. He was really, really, really good. And then he came back with a mixtape for me. And then today he's done a B-sides mixtape as well. So um, I'm going to play you a little um, expert, expert. <laughs> expert. <laughs> You're going to play a little, well, he's a little expert. But we'll call him <laughs> he is an expert. Oh my God, yeah. so good. Um, yeah. So, yes, um, he's actually got his own page. I think it's called In Excess Norway. And he's yeah. also on Instagram and it's always putting music on. But let, let me play a little bit. Hi there, and welcome to my In Excess On The Rocks podcast. In uh, this episode, I will be playing some of my favorite tracks, remixes, and also some live versions. But first, if you haven't heard about uh, In Excess before, here's a short introduction to the band. We come from Sydney in Australia, and uh, there was uh, three brothers, one going to school with Kirk, that's Tim going to school with Kirk, Andrew, the middle brother, going to school with myself, and John was going to school with Andrew and I as well. Gary we found at the beach, and it was just uh, a couple of very early bands falling to bits and ending up you know together we thought you know johnny was the last member to join i guess so we were looking for a good drummer and there's like the kid brother you know the Ferris's kid brother oh yeah i guess we'll give him a go and he was very good and so we, we we've been the same member since and it was about five years ago and we started up in the north shore of australia it's the beach areas and we played a lot of surf clubs and the big uh, beach pubs, a lot of surfy fans, things like that. And we slowly moved around Australia through the suburbs and cities and that. And took, um, it was a, we got a contract and uh, we've done four albums now. So it's, it's been very progressive, you know, up, it's very strong, slowed, up and up and up. You know? Yes, mum and dad were very supportive. Um, but I still remember having to, uh, have the serious discussion with mum and dad about Johnny leaving school so that we could play more gigs, you know. And uh, they, they, they understood, and, you know, he was only 15 at the time and had only really started school, you know. So, um, but it was good. Um, that They encouraged us all the way, you know. In fact, dad really sort of 
got us all started in music. Um, and and that, that you know, Dad actually used to sort of bought us all our first instruments. And when we all turned sort of the age of eight, he'd say to each one of us, you know, well, you know, what would you like to play? Like for me, he said, would you like to play the trombone or the guitar? Thank God I picked the guitar. <laughs> Yeah, thank God he did. And the rest is, as you all know, music history. So first off, here's a little medley that I put together of different uh, remixes. It's their biggest selling track of all time. It's, of course, Need You Tonight. Enjoy. Come over here. Tonight. How good was that? Yeah, it's great. That's tie nicely because you know next week we're gonna do a little Scandinavian episode. So uh might have to do a little bit of research via his Norway page just to yeah. sort of uh, add some some info. So well done, uh Bart. And then and then Andrew, I'd like to say um Andrew as well has been emailing us. So you need to read that. It's a nice long email, more for you than me. Shall do. Um now, uh, auctions B, you've finally got the big frame sort of uh, edition back. Are we launching the auction today? Yes, we are. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> yes, yes. So Although it is point. Wednesday. Come on, let, let's be, well, let's that's be right. realistic. Right. Perspective B, we've gone spent uh, $178 on framing, I think. Is that right, B? No, that was the balance. <laughs> oh, that was the balance. Okay, right. That's okay. the balance. So it's, it cost me, lots on putting you know, this thing together. It's, um, cost, it's cost over $300 to put together. Yeah. Even though the, that was donated, yeah. yeah. Still yeah. cost Plus a the, bit. Uh, it's got a uh, Listen Like Thieves CD in there. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so we've got the Listen Like Thieves CD, which has been um, – it's all in black pen, which looks great, actually, um, with Kirk, Gary, Tim, John, and Andrew's signature on, brilliant yep. signatures. And on the top, we've got a postcard of Michael – all in leather, looking like an X. I can't. I can't get over how fantastic it all looks together. So he's got a V-leg t- top on, and he's got his legs spread. Okay. And then he's um, signing ladies. Black. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but he look. It looks great. And but it's this is too- signed. This is signed by Michael. It's signed by Michael. So we've got all six signatures, and not only that, we're going to have another signature on the back because Tim is going to as as um. It's going to be signing a certificate that will go on to the back of that yep. as well. Yep. So it will just make it all look fantastic. And it's just not too big. It's not too small. It's just absolutely perfect. It's super sexy, all in black. Um, and I'm very happy that I'm going to be looking at that for the next couple of weeks. Well, we will have a reserve price land on this, and B and I will talk about what that reserve price will be to start off the bidding. Yes. Um, but uh, look on our platforms, etc. This is a very uh, one in a kind, unique. Uh, there's not m- many things around anymore that have the six signatures of the original band members on them. So mm. credit to you, B, putting it all together. Uh, before you go, you know we were talking about the UK band last week. Did I mention mm. the UK band last week? I did, did didn't yes, I? Yeah, yeah, band. yeah. I found out they're from Newcastle, or they're up in Newcastle, and they're a seven-piece band. <laughs> oh, wow, okay. <laughs> 
So they got one person singing JD songs. I have no idea, but I'd love someone to go and see them and let them know, um, let us know about how good they are. They haven't returned my call. I'm very upset about it, my message. But um, yeah, if you can uh, let us know. I think um, Manny said that he wasn't too far away, so he might go and see them. I just thought I mentioned that before we disappear. All right. Well, uh, tribute song to go out with today in light of Richard Lowenstein being on, in light of everything we've talked about with books and dogs in space, and we've mentioned Ollie Olsen and things like that, we thought we would go out with a, uh, a top 10 hit for Michael in Australia that was off the Dogs in Space soundtrack, uh, was uh, one of the first times or second times he departed from the band to sing a solo song. Uh, it was one of the main tracks from the Dogs in Space movie. It was called Rooms for the Memory. Uh, written by Ollie Olsen and performed by Michael and part of the movie that was directed by Richard. So we're going to go out with Rooms for the Memory today, B, uh, and say we miss you, Michael. Thank you, Richard. And it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from B. Goodbye, everybody.
And you've been listening to In Excess, Access All Areas with Hayden and B.